Well, good morning. It is a great privilege and joy for my wife and I to be here and worship with you. I've been looking forward to this day since uh, Brother Don extended the invitation. I'm happy for him and the occasion that allows him to go and uh, see his grandbaby. Uh, over Christmas, we've had four of our eight grandchildren who live in Mumbai, India at our house, and we had to share them with the other grandparents. You know how that goes. But uh, we've had a wonderful time, and I know how much that means. And uh, so I pray God will bless his time. Love your pastor. Have a great respect for him. I've come to realize that uh, this church has quite a, a good reputation. And when I uh, announced on Facebook to my friends to pray for me that I was coming to this church, I had a number of responses from people all over who have connections with this church, family here, friends here. And uh, so that blessed me to, to know uh, the wonderful reputation that this church has to the glory of God. Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that capered in sawdust rings and common people like you and me are builders for eternity? To each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mass, and a book of rules with which to build ere life is gone, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. These opportunities to worship together are opportunities for us to build again a stepping stone in our own personal pilgrimage toward Christ-likeness. And I invite you to turn with me this morning to the gospel according to Isaiah, <laughs> the Old Testament prophet, Isaiah chapter 43. And uh, I, I want to share with you from verses 14 through 21 of Isaiah uh, chapter 43. I'm preaching to you today on the subject, the dreadful prospect of missing God's best in 2015. <laughs> That's a lot of title for a little preacher, but uh, the, the, the dreadful prospect of missing God's very best in 2015. Uh, verse 18 of our text, it is kind of the focal point, and we'll kind of fill in the blanks. But, but Isaiah says to the people of Israel, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. I am doing, literally, I am doing a new thing. Now there's a dreadful prospect of missing out on what God is doing. The text, beginning in verse 14, thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon. Now Isaiah is writing a hundred years prior close to 100 years, uh, uh, actually 150 years prior to the taking of Judah captive, but he's riding right on the edge of the northern kingdom being taken down into captivity. He is 
preparing them for inevitable captivity. But the amazing thing he says is this, for your sake, for your sake, I'm going to send Babylon. Now, uh, we would want to say, I rebuke the devil because Babylon's coming, but God says, no, uh, I'm sending Babylon. And I'm sending Babylon because you need Babylon. I'm sending Babylon because through your captivity, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to cure you of idolatry. He says, and I'm going to bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea. Now that's what he did, remember. Took them through the Red Sea. He's referring back to the Exodus now. And he's reminding the people of God of the greatest intervention in their own history as a nation. The greatest redemptive intervention was the Exodus. And he says, I made a path through the waters who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. Now what is he talking about? He's talking about when God delivered Israel through the Red Sea and he delivered them out of Egypt into the promised land. He says here, they are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Now what he's just reminded them of is God's greatest activity in their national history. And then he says something that absolutely to me is jaw dropping. He says now forget it. That's Vincent's paraphrase. <laughs> but basically look what he says. Do not remember the former things. Well, what's he talking about in context? Well, what he just told them. He said, now, it's good that you know that. It's good to know that in your past, God has intervened redemptively. God has done significant things in your past. Personally, corporately, individually, church-wide, God has been active in your life. You've got those milestones that you can mark and say, God showed up here. But then he says, but don't live there. Don't camp out in God's past redemptive activity. Because if you do, there's the dreadful prospect of missing God's best for right now. For 48 years, let me punctuate that. 48 years. I've been trying to get back to barracks 410 at Air Force Base, Okinawa, 1968. Brother Mike, I've been trying to get back there for 48 years. 
Now, when I say get back there, 10,000 miles from here, I don't mean get back there physically. But in 1968, in Barracks 410, Kadena, Okinawa, God sovereignly, supernaturally, unexplainably showed up and touched down in two barracks and saved and called innumerable men out of sin into sanctification and into ministry. And there is now a host of men my age who's approaching the final destination, who's cramming for the finals, who over these last half a century has been serving Christ in Brazil, in Colorado, all over these United States, in Chicago, men who were saved out of barracks for 10. And for 48 years, I've been saying, God, I want to get back there. I want to see what happened in Barracks 410. And not long ago, in fact, just a matter of a few weeks ago, God rebuked my heart. God began to show me that my longing to get back to Barracks 410 could very well rob me of what he's wanting to do in 2015 in my life now. And it may not look exactly like what happened in 1968. See, God is saying, don't remember the former things. He, he's, he's not saying there, forget it. He's just saying, don't live there. Notice why he does that. Look, look, let's continue to read. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my name. Now notice what he says. He says, I'm going to make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What's he saying there? He's saying, folks, if you'll get your eyes off of the former exodus long enough, I'm going to give you a second exodus. If you'll get your eyes off of the past, I'm going to bring you a new redemptive intervention this time it's not going to be through the waters it's going to be through the deserts in the first exodus there was too much water I had to spread it apart in the second exodus there's not enough water so I'm going to make a river in the desert what he's saying is this I've got a new thing and it's not going to look like the old thing but it's going to be just as much of me are you with me on that now, here's what I'm trying to say, church. I mean, I'm, I'm 68 years old. You, you know, Baptists don't change well, do we? I mean, we just don't handle change very well. I don't. But can I tell you something? God, while he and his person never changes, he loves to change us. 
And God loves to change us and mold us and stretch us in ways that sometimes are uncomfortable. Now, historically, the church has not done too well with God's new thing. Have you ever noticed that? We just hadn't handled new things well. Beginning with the incarnation, right? I mean, Jesus came unto his own, and his own what, church? Received him not. Why? Because Jesus didn't look like what they expected him to look like, and he didn't do what they expected him to do. Oh, they knew there was a new thing coming. They knew the Messiah was coming, but they thought he was going to come and overthrow Rome and set up the throne in Israel and and make things like they used to be. Jesus showed up. He was a little different. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And, And church, listen to me. Who was it that fought Jesus the most? The Pharisees. Now, hey, I'm, I'm all in on criticizing the Pharisees. I mean, I've done that for half a century. I've made a living doing it. <laughs> and so here in my end of my ministry, I'm not going to start patting them on the back. But you know what God showed me? Uh, have you ever thought about this? When the Old Testament closes, there are no Pharisees. There aren't any. But when the New Testament opens, there they are. Where did they come from? You ever thought about it? Hey, let me tell you where they came from. They came from a Reformation movement within Judaism. Do you know where the Pharisees came from? They were the conservatives of Judaism. Judaistic theology was going down the tubes. And leading the parade were the Sadducees who didn't believe in angels, who didn't believe in the resurrection, who didn't believe in demons, who believed in none of that. And so God, and I do believe this, God raised up a group of conservative Bible-believing men called Pharisees. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in demons. They believed in life after death. They believed the Bible was the Word of God. And if you'll remember, on numerous occasions, Jesus agreed with the Pharisees. He said, you need to believe what they believe. He said, don't act like they act, but believe what they believe. And Paul was a Pharisee. Remember that? But here's the thing. Who was it? that fought Jesus the most? The Pharisees. You know why? Because Jesus was the new thing. And that new thing didn't fit the mold they wanted to put him in. Now, I don't want you to get nervous. I just want you to get open. Because I want you to open your heart. The church started, and again, God wanted to do a new thing. You know what that new thing was? Include Gentiles. 
and in the earth. Amen. <laughs> you and I wouldn't be in church today if it wasn't for that. Amen. And, and, and so God said, I want to include everybody. And, and the, the Jews, the, the, all the early Christians were Jews. The early church, full, nobody but Jews, except Luke maybe. And, and they kind of liked that. And they kind of wanted to perpetuate the Jewishness of the early church. And it would, have, it would have satisfied them completely just to make Christianity another S-E-C-T of Judaism. Another sect of Judaism. But the gospel blew the doors off of that notion. And people started getting saved up in Antioch. Gentiles. And one day Peter had a dream. Remember? He had a dream. And the sheet came down. And it had all kind of unclean animals he had never eaten before. And, and the voice came to Peter and said, Peter, take and eat. And he said in his best Hebrew, no way, Jose. He said, I've never, I've never eaten anything unclean before. And I'm not going to start now. And God spoke to Peter's heart and said, Peter, don't you dare call anything unclean that I call clean and God got through to Peter and Peter went down to the Jerusalem church and said folks God's doing a new thing and we better get with the program or God's gonna circumvent us hey church we don't ever want to be circumvented right we don't ever want God to go around us we want him to go through us amen and he will go through us if we're open and committed to his plan, his way. So God sometimes has to make us uncomfortable. But, now let me tell you a couple of things about <clears throat> God's new thing. Number one, God's new thing never changes anything about God himself. <clears throat> God's new thing doesn't change God's character or God's views. God hasn't changed his mind about marriage. God hasn't changed his mind about the value of human life. God hasn't changed his mind about the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing new about the new thing God wants to do changes God himself. God's new thing is designed to change us, not him. And can I say something else? Whatever new thing God does doesn't diminish one bit what God has done in the past. It doesn't discredit it. It doesn't diminish it. It doesn't put it down. In fact, God, is, God wants us to honor what he has done. But here's the thing. God doesn't want us to live in the past. And so it's easy to miss what he wants to do in our lives in 2015 because we're focused on Barracks 410 in 1968. Now, when God does a new thing, there are three things that's going to happen. <clears throat> When God does a new thing, number one, 
it will stretch us. How many of you like to be stretched? I don't. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? But when God does a new thing, it usually brings some discomfort to us. 18 months ago, after almost 45 years of pastoring, the Lord began to deal with my heart that it was time for me to step out in faith and do something I had been wanting to do for 45 years. And that is enter itinerant ministry. But I had a wonderful church. I had a wonderful salary. I had all the benefits. But the Lord began to deal with us, my wife and I, and we began to pray. And I'd never done this before. And to be honest with you, it was uncomfortable. I mean, I, I just like having a salary every week, you know? I like getting a check. It's nice. But the Lord began to deal with us that we were at a point in our life where we had prepared for retirement and God began to put in my heart that I wanted to make the gospel available to India where my daughter serves and around the world and anywhere God would so lead me without cost. And God began to put that on my heart that you're able to do that now. You're 67, you've been preparing for this time and you can go out and share the gospel without cost. Now, if you want to give me an honorarium, that'll be fine, Brother Mike. I mean, I'm just kidding. But I really mean that. So it doesn't matter the size of the church or whether they can pay me anything. We began to pray about that. We were in a little restaurant in Panama City, Florida, away from anybody who knew us. And I had some of my family and my grandchildren. We were eating in a seafood restaurant, crowded, full. And right in the middle of the meal, a little lady I'd never seen before got up from another table and came over to where I was. This has never happened to me in 50 years. And I really don't know exactly where to put it theologically. I've been trying to figure out where to fit this into my theology, but God didn't ask me, you know, she came over to me and she got right out in my face. She didn't say, my name is, who are you? She didn't say any of that. She invaded my, my personal space and she said, you're a preacher, aren't you? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, I have a message for you. I said, yes, ma'am, I'm listening. She said, God wants me to tell you but those things you are praying about and worried about, you're to lay down at his feet. He's going to bless your going in and coming out. He's going to take care of you, prosper you, and use you for his glory. She turned and walked and sat back down. I've never had that, Brother Mike, happen in my life. But you know what? You know what that did to me? I walked out of that restaurant in Panama City, light as a feather. Because God had confirmed to me, yes, this is beyond your comfort zone, but this is my will for you. And where I guide you, I will provide for you. Amen? So God's new thing will stretch us. Number two, God's new thing will sometimes stress us. 
<laughs> you know, God does things sometimes that make us really uncomfortable. And so God sometimes sends his new thing packaged in something we don't really like. Go back and study the book of Habakkuk. Remember what the prophet Habakkuk said to Judah? He said, God's going to do something new. You've never seen him do this before. And he said, you are not going to like it. You know what that new thing was, Habakkuk said? He said, God's going to send Babylon, (laughs) and they're going to take you captive. You see, that's what Isaiah said. He said, I'm doing it for your good. I'm allowing you to go captive. It was a new thing, but it was a new thing that was uncomfortable. But you know, here's what I've discovered, church. God is more concerned with making me holy than he is making me happy. And he is much more concerned with conforming me into the image of his son than he is of just making sure all of my little needs are met. God's new thing will stretch us. God's new thing will sometimes stress us. But then lastly, God's new thing will strengthen us. Here's what I want to say to you. I don't know what 2015 holds for each of us. But whatever it is, can I tell you this? It's good. Because God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. And can I tell you another thing? Whatever God's new thing that he wants to do in your life this year is, he never asks you to do anything that he doesn't promise you the resources to do it. In other words, whatever the Lord orders, he can always pay for. Whatever God orders, he can pay for. And everything he asks us to do, he gives us the power to do it. I love that little poem that says, Work and do the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A sweeter song the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Now, one final thing, and I'm through. It will strengthen us, stress us, and stretch us. But how can I know that I don't miss God's new thing? How can I guarantee that I don't miss it? When Jesus came, Almost everybody in the New Testament missed him. They missed why he came. Even the 12 struggled with him. You remember? And Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. But there was one little lady that didn't miss it. You remember who it was? Her name was Mary. And every time we see Mary, guess where she is? She snuggled up close to the feet of Jesus. Every time you see her, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, loving him, worshiping him. And so is it any surprise that when we come to the end of 
Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. And Jesus is in that last week of his life. And they're gathered in the room with Lazarus, whom he's just recently resurrected from the dead. What a crowd is gathered there. And all of a sudden, Mary comes into the room. And she has an alabaster box full of precious ointment. And she breaks it. And she begins to anoint the body of Jesus with that expensive ointment. And Judas reacts and says, well, that could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus said to him, this is Vincent's paraphrase now, Judas, shut up. That's not exactly what he said, but basically. Judas, shut up. This woman has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And then he says, she has done what she could. How did she know that? Because she stayed in close, intimate, loving fellowship with Jesus. How can you be sure you're not going to miss God's new thing this year? Get close to Jesus and stay there. Amen? Get close to Jesus and stay there. Have a time every day when you read his word when you pray, when you seek his face and seek to walk in his spirit. Will you bow your head with me? Thank you so much for listening the way you've listened. Do you see now why the Lord is rebuking me for wanting to get back to Barracks 410? God has something much better than that. It's not in the past, it's in the future, it's in the now. He's not just a God of the past, He's a God of the present. And my prayer is that for you, this will be the greatest year in your own spiritual life. And that that new thing God wants to do in your life, that you won't miss it. That you won't miss it. And for some of you here, the new thing God wants to do in your life is He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to be saved and have the assurance that you're going to heaven when you die. If you've never repented of your sins, put your faith in Jesus. Let God do that new thing in your heart today. Our heads are bowed. In a moment, we're going to sing our invitation. I, I want to just encourage you in your heart to say, Lord, whatever that new thing is, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Lord, help me to get so close to you that I can know for certain how you're leading me, what you're wanting to do. Lord, do in me. Here's a prayer. I want you to pray with me. Lord, do in me everything you want to do in order to do through me in 2015 everything you want to do. Lord, do in me everything you need to do in order to do through me everything you want to do. Will you pray that prayer? In a moment, we're going to stand and sing. If you need to come to the altar, then come and pray. If you just need to come and have one of the staff to pray with you, you do that. You just follow and obey the Lord however he leads you. Maybe God's leading you to come and put your membership into this wonderful church. If that's the case, you come. Father, in Jesus' name, have your will done now as we worship you.